Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today, it is part two of the Pragmatic Folk series, Own Your Environment. Oh yeah, we've got our special guests, our very special guests back again, Andy Hunt and Dave Thomas. And uh, we'll be resuming our discussion that we had from part one of our series and talking more in depth about like how you are in control of your own destiny, even when it seems like you're not. Right. Whether it's uh, introspectively on getting better in your craft or the kind of information and data developers now have. And that environment is for you to wield and to use responsibly. Yeah, that was a fun discussion. I hope you enjoy it. What about you, Dave? Do you have a favorite technique or uh, thing that you've revisited in the book recently? So let me think. There are a couple of things that I'm very pleased with in the book that are actually brand new tips. And those are the first and the last tips in the book. The first tip is came about because I quite often, or both of us quite often go to conferences and people will say things like, well, that's all very well, but I can't do that because my company dot, dot, dot. Mm. And mm-hmm. when you sit and pause that, you realize what they're really saying is, I can't be bothered to make my life the way it should be. I can't be bothered to try and change my company, or I can't be bothered to change to a different company. I'll just sit here and I'll accept the fact I'm doing second-rate work. I'm not liking it. And I really look forward to going home at the end of the day. That yeah. is a miserable, miserable way to lead a life. Which one? So I, I guess I, my question would, would you have that person make the change in the organization or look for another organization that follows their idea? What do you think is the better option? Well, I mean, that, I that's, not, that's not our choice, right? That's up to the individual. Right. You know, Martin Fowler has a famous quote saying, change your organization or change your organization. Uh, (laughs) And this is a very important theme that goes all the way through the book is that at the end of the day, it is up to you. No one's Mm going to tell you, yes, you should go quit your job or no, you should go, you know, charging into the CEO's office all full of fire and brimstone or, or what have you. You know, whatever path you take, it's on you. It's your responsibility. It's your power. It's your freedom to do what, what you will with it, but that's on you. No one's going to tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah. That really resonates with me, especially since I was like early in my career. I, f- I feel like I was in that situation. And then I had that realization where, hey, you know, if, if I want things to change, then it has to come from me. And, you know, when you start digging into those ideas and bettering the world around you, then it's, it's just very rewarding. There's nothing sadder than to be lying on your deathbed thinking, if only, you know, and yeah. it's so pervasive, you know, you say to people, well, what, what new programming language have you learned? Oh, well, we always use Java in our company. Okay. <laughs> and that's, not, that's not the question I asked, right? There's, we are in, as a profession, the, probably the most fast changing environment that has ever existed. Yeah, And yeah. if we are to stay afloat as individuals, we have no option but to invest in ourselves and continue to learn new things and make ourselves valuable, basically. And that is a personal responsibility. It's your life. You make those choices. And if your company isn't going to train you in the latest, greatest, then, okay, 
big deal. You've got time to do that. Go and do it. Right. You know? yeah. And one less game of Half-Life, one more bit of reading. <laughs> There's a really important kind of side comment there is I jones about this all the time. We often, as in, in our profession, we often over-identify with whatever technology we happen to be using at the time. So you'll see folks who come up and identify themselves and say, oh, I'm a Java programmer. I'm mm -hmm. a PHP developer. I'm a, you know, whatever, JavaScript. And no, you're not. You're a problem <laughs> solver. You know, right. you are, and, you're using whatever you're using, you know, the latest, greatest JavaScript framework, right? It's Wednesday. There've been 34 new JavaScript frameworks out today, right? You know, I, you're not that. That's one of the tools you use. You know, Java is one of the tools you use. Elixir is one of the tools you use. Rust, whatever it might be. Right. And, you know, next week, five years from now, hopefully you'll be using something completely different. Right. That's not the important part. The important part is you're a problem solver. And you know different paradigms, different ways of, of asking questions, different ways of solving problems, different ways of you know, trying to get to the root of an issue, find out what the root cause is, not just, oh, well, it must be this, and you know, coding the first thing that flits into your mind. You know, no, we're problem solvers. That's the kind of core skill that we really need to focus on. Yeah, that's like a really freeing thing to realize, like that should be our superpower like we should be very adaptable we should be very willing to change ourselves and our surroundings and you know by honing those skills as a programmer which are not like on the can like you don't ha get that from a degree in programming like you get like you know algorithms and java skills and then it's up to you to like decide those things and, and yeah, yeah but see, that's that's just yes but that's a very low level way of looking at it we have these tools we have everything from assembly language up to you know cloud-based builds but you know again that's just the tools we have the power to take that and create anything we're creating entire ways that that worlds talk to each other we, how they interact with each other we're creating the fabric of society if we're not careful and you know right. i think we've, we've just, done that a lot of yeah, that's another discussion, I guess, right there. <laughs> where you, no, it's not, it's not another discussion. No, I, I was I was joking, but like it's that's a very large discussion to have. Where it's like, oh wait, like a lot of times, you know, there's a move th fast and break things kind of attitude, but there there yeah, does have to be a deliberate. I do not buy that. By the way, I think you should move deliberately and build things. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like to have the engineering mindset and have some safety factors and responsibility in mind for the ways that things will go wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the things I liked in the, in the new book, right? The idea of the first topic in the book is this idea of it's your life. And then the very last topic in the book is kind of like the same, but flipped on its head. And it talks about the idea that because it's your life, and because you're doing this, like, you know, your consciousness is driving what you're doing, you have to take responsibility for the things that you do. And I think that was what Andy was alluding to. And I think it's, it's a very important conversation. I don't think it's one that can be, like, just, like, left for later on. Because increasingly, we are, as Andy said, we're changing the world. You know, there are... Who would have imagined when, you know, they created this stupid little app that would allow people to type 140 characters at each other, yep. that it would be used to foment a revolution and it would be used to drive people to suicide? 
And how do you think about that? How do you manage that as a developer? What personal rules can you put in place to make sure that you're comfortable with the impact of the stuff that you're doing? Right. It's almost like the idea of like a pollution or something. It's a, it's a cost or a side effect of, of a thing that isn't in the thing itself. It's not in the 140 characters or like the ability to like something. It's something that is larger than that. And you got to consider all those, all those, the way those things fit together. Yeah. That's one of those things that you know, I think has really changed over the last 20 years. We went from, you know, our biggest concern was dereferencing pointers to how, <laughs> right. You know, how could this be used against me? How could this yeah. be used against yeah. other people? Uh, right. What I want this used on myself that, you know, that that's a, that's a really big change. That's, you know, now a concern you have to think about, you have to think about security. You have to think about all the bad actors that could misuse whatever you're writing, whatever you've created. And again, you know, am I working on some project that I would be okay with it, okay using it or having it used on me? Yeah. Uh, and if not, then you've got some hard questions to ask yourself. Although, like, honestly, when you mentioned dereferencing porters, I had the same visceral reaction as I did to the idea of just the general mess of security and <laughs> implications of software. So I... <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is, and, and this occurred to me the other day. Yeah, we have we're in a sort of a, a kind of a bad spot right now in terms of societal impact, in terms of security, in terms of these things that we're not. We've created this level of tech, and we don't really have the you know infrastructure, the laws, the, the social norms to kind of deal with it. And it's like when you read about the uh, early days of industrialization right? All of a sudden, you took people who were used to a farm uh, culture, a farm way of life, and you threw them into the factory. Mm. And there are, you know, just unbelievable horror stories from that period of tainted uh, food supplies, yeah. tainted yeah, meat, the uh, yeah. you know, the Triangle Shirtwaist fire disaster, you know, people getting injured, getting killed, children working on the equipment because alongside you in the field on the farm, and that was accepted, and it was perfectly normal. So that carried over into the factory, but yikes that's no you don't want to do that when you don't have you know guards and you've got running belts and blades and and yeah. everything so it took a fair while for society to kind of catch up to technology and say okay if we're working around machines and we're doing this we need these laws we need these guidelines we need these you know different social customs social mores to kind of make it work out so that y'all didn't get killed when a flywheel broke. Yeah, and yeah. but it took a while, right? And we're not we're not there yet. You know, we've got this the 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 information technology at this point and we are not good at, at handling that. Yet. Well, not just that. I think that right now all of the discussion about these issues is outside our field. So I've never yet come across developers having a long and earnest conversation about the ethics of what they're doing. I have definitely heard politicians and other people talking about that. And so I think as developers tend to focus on, my, yeah, we could do this, right? We can do this. We can make a car drive itself. And yeah, that's full of really, really interesting problems. And we'd really, really like to solve them and work on this. And wouldn't it be cool? And all the conversations about if a car with no one in it hits somebody who's responsible, all those conversations are taking place in Washington and with lawyers and in bars, but not in the programming environments. And they should be. Because when we start having those conversations, then we'll also start thinking about 
you know, oh my God, I hadn't really thought about that, but maybe I should do this or that or the other to, you know, try to mitigate this or like maybe even refuse to work on this until, you know, I've worked out some way of making it safe or whatever it might be. That's a really good point about development in general is there's this sort of fantasy that, you know, someone can go off, come up with requirements and throw them over the wall and dump them to programmers. And then it's just speed typing and you create the thing. And that's not how it works, right? Development is an act of co-creation between the people doing the programming and whoever the sponsors, the clients, the users, the people actually want this. It's a dialogue between them. So Dave's example just there of, you know, thinking through these issues, talking to someone who's using it, going, oh, well, if that's the case, then I can make this decision or I should do this differently. That feedback loop is absolutely critical. And it doesn't have to be for a self-driving, you know, uh, not carry. What was the name of the car? It went off and killed people. A Tesla? Was it a no, Tesla? no, 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 no. <laughs> was, was, that. That's too real, man. <laughs> Christine, wasn't that Christine the killer car? Oh, yeah, Stephen King, classic. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that dramatic, but, you know, even on, on a, a smaller, more boring project, you know, that conversation, daily conversation with the user of, how's this? Is this right? No, right. I really to do this, or this is more important to me now because this other thing changed. These, this absolutely impacts every little decision you make as a programmer. And if you yeah. don't have that access, if you don't have that level of conversation, you will make wrong decisions. And that's going to cause rework. It's going to cause bugs. It's going to cause angst. It's going to make the project late. It's going to be responsible for all these horrific statistics we see of project failure. Or right. and, you can and, get in there and you can have a dialogue with someone and actually get it right. And even if you can't have that dialogue, if the customer is like kind of a large group of people, like talking with a smaller group, more specific customer, or at least having trying to develop the empathy for who the customer is and what the implications are and working in that concept of like the whole team in XP, that's like super important. Like the, the most ex- exciting experiences I've had developing software have been in teams that are always thinking about those kinds of things. I think that's a really good point. It's exciting to think about it. And I think that keys into, I mean, this is like amateur psychology hour, but I think (laughs) one of the reasons that developers do developing is that I think as human beings, everybody is wired to want to do something, to want to contribute, to want to be useful. I guess. And if you're a skilled drawing, then you can be an artist and you get your pleasure from you know, doing your art and expressing yourself that way. And if you're a musician, you do that. If you're an athlete, then you can you know, run, get sweaty and enjoy that. God help you. Um, <laughs> if you're a developer, then your means of expression and your means of helping people is by solving problems. And mm-hmm. If you solve those problems in a vacuum and you never actually get to see people using the stuff you've done, you're kind of missing the reward portion of you know, your life. And so being able to watch people use your code and see people benefit from it and have people say, ah, oh, you know, it's kind of okay, but I really wish this was pink. And you go, oh, I can make that pink. And you make it pink. Those kind of things are where the real pleasure and excitement comes from. And when you see developers who are kind of like turning into nine to five zombies, Mm. what you need to do to get that back is to send them out there and get them to watch the people using their software and 
give them some skin in that particular game. There's a, a company near us down here that is widely known for having a large portion of their staff that are RIP, retired in place. <laughs> so, so, right? They're sitting there in their cube farm and they're going through the motions and they're collecting their paycheck and they're not engaged. They're it's not thinking. Cozy, yeah. Yeah, they're just they're going through the motions and they're not producing anything. They're not producing business value in, in the, the lean sense. They're not contributing to anything. And from folks who've worked there, they tell me that you can watch the people leaving at the end of the day in their cars and it looks like they're coming back from a funeral. Oh, <laughs> There's no happy smiling faces there. Oh, so, you know, yes, it, I mean, it sounds on the face of it, it sounds like, Hey, that's a cushy job. I can just sit there and do nothing all day and get paid for it. But that's really a very soul sucking experience. You know, as, as Dave started off, you, know, you want to be, useful. you want to be needed. You want to have some purpose mm-hmm. while we're here on this, this ball and that doesn't do it. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, getting out, actually sitting and working with users at their place of work, using your software, seeing it from that side is really an incredibly motivating technique because now you're seeing the people who are using your software. It's like, oh, I can make this better for you. I can fix this. I didn't know that was a problem or you needed to do these steps in this order with this kind of, of task workflow, whatever. Oh, that's easy. Hell, we can fix that. And helping the people who are on the other side of the table who may be like kind of asleep on their feet and just being like, well, this is the crappy software that I have to live my life with. And be like, no, you don't, you don't have to do that. Or in the case of enterprise software where people don't have a choice. <laughs> with well, consumer well, software, people's choice. But. I think you're, yeah, you're repeating yourself there, you know, crappy software. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, that, okay, and that actually, I'm going to jump in on that because I really dislike that kind of lazy, it's enterprise, therefore it must be bad. I think there are good and there are bad enterprises. I think that enterprises, by their nature, face different problems. And the idea of being pragmatic is not to do it a certain way. It's to do it the way that works. And if you're in a 40,000-person developer shop, then what works is going to be very different than if you're two guys in a studio somewhere. Totally, yeah. You know, and so I think that you've got to be very careful when you – you know, do the, well, we all get together and go, oh, enterprise, and everyone go off. So You've got to be really careful because that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the enterprise people. It doesn't help people who are on the outside. Yeah. With enterprise, it's interesting because like, it's really like about a separation between the users and the choosers. Like the people who are using it may not be the one who are choosing what software is, is being used. So like they, they may not have the power. That's not a, a given for an enterprise. But, true, true. You know, but that's, that's, the real underlying problem you're getting at there is that as you scale up to a very large organization, you know, all the problems get bigger. You've got a lot more different needs to try to fill. You've got, you know, different er- people in different areas of the company with different reward structures, different probably hard, really fast. You know, if you've got a small team of four or five people, communication is easy. It's fast. You've got fast feedback loops. That's great. You've got 10,000 developers working on, you know, something for an airframe. That's a whole different kettle of fish. You need an entirely different toolkit, different, you know, sets of techniques just to manage the communication and the motivation and the drive across such a large 
group of people. And it's a hard thing. I mean, it, obviously, it can be done. There are some very successful folks that do it, but it's really hard. I think it ends up being a lot harder than most people realize, which is why we get the kind of stereotypical, you know, knee-jerk joke at it, because it's really <laughs> easy to put up. Yeah, totally. There you have it. That's the uh, end of part two. Uh, you don't want to miss part three. The part three will be the dogmatic developer. Yeah, it's like Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> The best one, yes, <laughs> arguably, people believe. <laughs> Feel free to check that out. Looking forward to it. Okay, so if you're excited to get your hands on a copy of the 20th anniversary edition of Pragmatic Programmer, you can head on over to pragprog.com, P-R-A-G-P-R-O-G.com. The ebook is available right now, and the hardcover will be available in late September or early October. If you buy the ebook, on the website, you'll get a coupon for half off on the hardcover, which is kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, they have mentioned that that was highly requested, people who purchased the book. In 20 years, you had to wait for that hardcover. It's crazy. <laughs> You're going to have to wait another 20 for the next <laughs> <laughs> For the steel cover. I guess it's a steel <laughs> cover. If you want to contact Dave Thomas, he is Prag Dave on everything, including Twitter. So you can follow him on Twitter at Prag Dave. That's P-R-A-G. D-A-V-E. And Andy is Pragmatic Andy on Twitter. So follow him there. And if you want to find out what he's currently doing, he has a blog. It is toolshed.com. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. <laughs>